Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. I'm Vicki Johnson, and this is my life story. I grew up going to church and attended Christian schools through my freshman year in college, so from the outside it probably appeared that I was set up for a lifetime of faith. The thing is, I had a great head knowledge about God and the Bible, but no heart knowledge. Inside, I had a lot of bitterness, anger, and loneliness, especially where men were concerned. One grandfather I hardly knew. He was an abusive alcoholic, not exactly a great role model of fatherhood for my dad. The grandpa who lived here was always angry, caught up in his own bitterness, and in constant pain from arthritis. All I learned from him was to stay out of his way so I wouldn't make him mad. I knew my dad loved us, but as a kid, it seemed like he cared more about the excitement of working nights and weekends as a cop than spending time with his family. Don't get me wrong, we had good memories, but I was desperate for validation. I spent a lot of time flirting and hanging out with any guy who would pay attention to me. I learned to play dumb, to fulfill the stereotypical blonde role, and how far to go without losing my virginity and yet not angering the guy. That is, until one night when I was 18 and that choice was taken from me. After being raped, I sunk into depression, self-loathing, and promiscuity. When I was 25, I had my oldest son out of wedlock. When he was a year and a half, I filed for a restraining order against his dad, who struggled with anger and paranoia from steroid use. For the next three years, I lived in fear, needing to renew the restraining orders annually because of times that he violated the order and the court agreed that we were still in danger. I had migraines practically every week and nightmares almost every night. I was sarcastic, on edge, not pleasant to be around. I was scared, I was angry, I felt out of control. One night, I lay in my bed sobbing, so tired of being afraid, when my mind cleared suddenly of all but one thought. Forgive him. What? Why, he's not sorry. Forgive him. I have forgiven you, and you need to forgive as well. It all became so clear to me. I am no better than anyone else. My sins need just as much forgiving as theirs. If God forgave me, what right do I have to withhold forgiveness from those around me? That night, I chose to forgive. Not just my son's dad, but all the men who had hit me, abused me, or let me down. The nightmares stopped, my joy returned, and I dove into the word, finally seeking a relationship with my creator. I realized that choosing forgiveness was for my benefit, not anyone else's. The only validation I need, I can find in the one who truly knows me, because he made me. I'm not perfect, of course. God is still smoothing out the rough spots and doing major work in my heart and mind. That's a lifelong process. But my difficult experiences have tuned my perception so that I was able to sense when a student was being harmed at home and when a coworker was suffering marital abuse. God uses my pain to help me minister to women who struggle with self-worth. God has blessed me with two amazing sons, and my prayer every day is that he surrounds them with godly men so that they can learn to be strong husbands and fathers, breaking this family cycle. He has restored my relationship with my dad, who has a great life story himself. I pray that God uses me to be a witness to his power of restoration and healing and of finding our worth in his eyes as daughters and sons of the King of Kings. Thank you. I still love that music. Like, I can't get over that music. It's so cool. You know, like walk out to it. You know, I feel like I should do something bigger than what I'm doing. Anyway, how are you guys doing? You guys good? 
All right, all right, a little bit of energy in here. And uh, man, wasn't that awesome hearing Vicky's testimony, hearing her life story? And man, she got real, didn't she? I mean, she was real about what happened, um, where she was before Jesus really grabbed a hold of her, the circumstances around that, and, and where her life has been since. And I love it because it's not one of these things that's like, oh, everything's perfect. But God is using her, and God is redeeming stuff in her past and using it now to, so, so she can have a life of deep meaning and fulfillment. Well, tonight our topic is sex, commitment, and other odd combinations. So, uh, it might be a thought for you if you have a third grader that hasn't checked out our Kid Quest ministry, you may want to take advantage of this opportunity to do that. We're not, I'm not going to get super graphic. In fact, I've had been more graphic in the past than I will be this evening, but consider yourself warned. Um, there's all kinds of great things, by the way, happening here at Compass. This, t- earlier today, um, you wouldn't have even known this, we had a, what you call an ordination ceremony for a, a group called the Evangelical Church Alliance. And uh, that's the group that I'm ordained with. It's not our denomination, but it's a separate group. They do a lot of military chaplains and other kinds of people. And so there's about 100 people in this room earlier today and about 23 candidates, some of whom had flown. One guy flew from Korea just to be here, um, from New York and all over the country, came here to Goodyear, Arizona, to get ordained and kind of um, blessed and affirmed for their ministry, which is kind of a cool thing. Uh, Dan Butler, if you know Dan Butler, he's been around here for years, retired as a colonel in the uh, um, Air National Guard here in Arizona, and he was he gave this kind of ordination address. So there's a lot of things that are happening around here that you may not even necessarily know about. Um, last weekend, we actually had a record high attendance. I think it might have been an all-time record, but we had 916 total people. So that's pretty cool. You can clap for that. That's like exciting stuff. What's happening is God is, is using this place, and he's bringing people, and uh, we're just, we're excited about what God's doing. But anyway, so, so while that's all great, what I'm really excited about is the fact that tonight we're going to talk about sex. So if you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and as we start off, I just want to let everyone know as a disclaimer that all of us have made mistakes in this area, and this is not intended to be judgmental. This is not intended to make anyone feel guilty in in an unnecessary sense on on things that you cannot change, things that are in the past, and when you were living in a life, or maybe even living a life now, that that you were not aware of these things before. You know, um, uh, I haven't used a workout analogy in a while, but I I go to the gym pretty regularly, and I'm in one of these gyms where I get a lot of hands-on coaching. And when I'm doing things, if I'm lifting weights, and I'm not like not the world's greatest weightlifter, but I'm trying my best, and as I'm doing things, oftentimes the, our coach will come around and correct me and say, you're not doing this right. You're missing the intent of this lift. If you, you, if you just change this, if you focus on this, if you understand the concept, then, then you'll actually be able to do this in a way that it was intended to be done, and you will have a greater sense of fulfillment in it. So rather than this, you feeling like, um, man, I, I'm going to hear all this stuff that's going to make me feel like I've done all these things, and there's certainly a time for repentance, and we'll talk about that. But I want you to, to not show up defensively here, but rather with an open heart and an open mind in the same way that you might, if a coach came alongside and said, listen, let me share with you the intent of this. And if you understand the intent, then maybe as you go forward, this can be something in your life that you can find greater fulfillment that you've ever had before. Is that fair enough? Okay, good. 
So as we look at this, um, I want to just jump into this um, whole thing and see if we can't come up with something better in regards to sex than what the world has offered to us. So kind of our flagship verse this evening is going to be this in Genesis chapter 2.24. This is very foundational, the beginning of the, the scripture. And it says this, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There are two phrases that I want to highlight in that passage that are very important. Number one is the phrase, hold fast. What that means is to stick together, to commit, to cleave to one another. In fact, in that culture, that word would be understood as establishing a bond that would bring two things so close that they were almost inseparable. So for example, the scales on, on a, the skin of a snake, how closely they fit together, how flush they are, a, a commitment that you can't even see the, 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 any kind of separation or gap. Last week when I was at my Air Force base um, for my weekend drill as a chaplain, I had to do a gas mask fitting because I'm on this nuclear response team, which is kind of a cool thing. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but they put me on it. And uh, they said, so if there's something goes down, we need you for this and whatever. It's a long story. But anyway, so I had to have a nuclear, I had to have a gas mask fitting and I'd never had one before. And so the lady that was helping me out, the, the thing they had to make sure of was that the, the mask itself fits so tightly around my face. And my face is kind of a funny shape. So they had to kind of pull some things and make sure so that the gas mask would fit so tightly that there, were no, there was no way that any air could get through any of, these, any of the seal around it and only come through the little filters. That's how close and tight and stuck that it needed to be. And if you can understand that, you can understand that it's this kind of, this, this commitment and this cleaving and this fastening that is so incredibly tight, that is so incredibly airtight and sealed. That, that this is the kind of relationship that the man and his wife should have with one another. So they first make this commitment of closeness. And the second phrase is the phrase, one flesh. And that word is very important, that word flesh, because it basically means the physical body. It has other implications too, but for at this moment, our our implication or our for our purposes it basically means sexual intercourse that's what it is and in case you didn't know um, sexual intercourse is the actual physical joining together of the male and female and specific the male female genitalia right so that is by definition what sexual intercourse is you can have all kinds of of simulations of that or or characterizations of that but the actual by definition what is sexual intercourse it is the male and the female parts coming together and so in genesis what you see is a progression that we get that begins with this airtight vapor sealed commitment as as close even one other analogy would be like when your mouth gets really dry and your tongue would stick to the roof of your mouth that ever happens to you where you can't even talk because you're like it's stuck it's that was another usage even that they would use that same word there's a there's a commitment there's a fastening that is so tight and so secure and then after that the two become one flesh and engage each other physically in that way. 
Now, what's interesting about this is it's the physical body, but it's actually, the word actually is more than that too. It has to do with the whole self. So you could actually see the flesh. So it's the physical body, but it's, it's like the soul as well. So it's the inside, it's the outside, it's everything. But with sex, the biblical understanding is that the physical is the gateway to the spiritual and, and to, the gateway to the soul. It's really fascinating. So, so sex and the physical act of sex is really seen as like a gateway to, to the, the soul of the person. And so what I want to do is I want to give you three um, basic understandings that this, the Bible has about how we're to understand sex that are going to be radically different from what the world has to offer and what the world typically understands. And your job is to evaluate this, especially if you're here and you're not a Christian. You might be here and you're going, hey, I'm just checking this whole thing out. What do you guys have to say? How can you speak in to the various subjects that dominate our culture? And so what I want you to do is evaluate what does the Bible say about this? And, and to be able to say, do, does this offer substance, a whole lot more substance than maybe anything you've ever heard before? So approach it with an open mind. But there are three things that the Bible tells us, instructs us in the area of sex. Number one, sex is designed to be the most powerful, physical, soul-unifying act that can be done. Now I want you to think about that for a minute. Sex is designed to be the most powerful, physical, soul-unifying act that can possibly be done. So it's not merely an animalistic kind of act that satisfies an appetite, but rather the most powerful, physically unifying act that exists. So when you're having sexual intercourse with someone, you are giving your deepest, most intimate self fully and completely, whole body, whole soul, to another person. That was its design. That is its intent. That is why God made it. It's not just merely to make babies. I mean, you know, that's a definite byproduct, and it's, you know, and obviously an incentive. It's one of the reasons why it's so easy for us to populate the earth, right? It's like, oh man, I gotta go make a baby now. No, it's, it's like, this is cool, let's do this, right? So it, we never had a problem making babies, because it's fun. But it's more than that. It's not just, and it's, and it's not just an appetite. It is something where you, your whole self is given fully and completely to another person. The most powerful private part about you, the most vulnerable part about you, the real you, the sacred you is given to this person. So how do we know this? Well, if we look at the language, it says that a man leaves his father and mother and is united and holds fast to his wife. And it's in that context, in other words, sex is designed to be incredibly powerful. It's designed to, to be almost like a life-altering kind of thing. That you're, not, you're not really the same in terms of the relationship with this person once this has happened. It can almost be an experience that's so intense that it's almost like an out-of-body kind of a thing. That's how intense. And this is the design. This is why God made it this way. And so that leads me to the second thing that Christianity has to say about sex and, and the Bible has to say about sex. It is this, that marriage is the only structure strong enough to contain the incredible power of sex. 
You see, you and I were never designed to become one flesh with another person without first holding fast to them. We were not designed to function that way. Right now, if you've been keeping up with the news at all, you know that in Northern California, the Oroville Dam um, is having a real problem because they built this thing in 1968 and in almost 50 years of its existence, it has never flooded. Well, all of a sudden, you know, California had this drought and then recently they've been having rainstorm after rainstorm after rainstorm until it started uh, spilling over and 200,000 people had to get evacuated. And I think some of now they're, they're saying, okay, it's probably going to hold and, and they're letting some of these people go back. But there's still, they don't know because they've, they've still more rain that's to come. And so right now the, the jury's out whether this dam is going to hold. What's the problem? The problem is they built it in such a way to contain only a certain amount of water, but the, the power of that water has exceeded the ability of the dam to hold it. And so it's flooding over. And you could think of sex in the same way. That the, 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 the whole area of sex in our lives is so powerful that, that to think that, that, you know, just merely any type of relationship can handle it would be like taking a giant bucket of water and a little, like, champagne flute glass and dumping the bucket of water in it and expecting that to be able to hold it. It can't do it. Which explains why there's so much intense emotion around sex. This is why people will get so angry that they'll, against a, a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend or whatever when sex is misused in any type of context. There'll be so much anger that it results in murder. It results in violence. It results in years, decades-long bitterness because there's something about this thing that is so holy and so powerful and so us that when we give it and it's abused or it's not taken care of or it's, or it's rejected, it's very, very, very painful. And I think it's important that we acknowledge that. You see... So that, that, that marriage is the only structure that can bear the weight of it. It's the only system that God designed that can actually handle its power. Now imagine if that were taught in schools. Imagine if part of sex education was, hey, listen, I know you guys are 13 years old and you want to you know, do it with anyone, anytime, anywhere. I get that. There's hormones flying and raging. So, you know, these young people are, right? It's crazy. There's all this stuff happening. They're like, whoa, you know? I was a teenage boy. Man, I remember that whole thing. It's crazy. And, uh, and, and, and you have all this stuff, you know? So rather than just sex education being a thing, well, hey, I'll tell you what. We're going to teach you about sex. Here's how you put a condom on a banana. You got it? You're good. Go ahead. And that's basically, that's the extent of it in large part. It's, well, you, you know, you want to think about it before you do it. No, no, no. Rather, what if they actually said, hey, listen, we want you to know that what you have raging inside you is one of the most powerful experiences, the most powerful experience you'll ever have in your physical life, and you ever had in your life. And, and, it, and it has an ability to, to, to join you with a person in an incredibly um, life-changing, life-altering way. And... To, to tell them anything else other than that would basically be a lie. To, 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 to not tell a young person how much destruction can happen in their soul if they misuse this. We all know this, but we're afraid to say it. Everyone's afraid to say it because, well, we don't want to talk. Because all of a sudden it falls into the category of religious. Are you kidding me? 
What's, what's religion? Isn't it just purely scientific? Can't you use your powers of observation and see? You hear a story like this from, from Vicky talking about how, how the, the, even the issue of the whole sexual issue in her life caused her all kinds of pain and anguish in her life and the, while she was abused in that way and the effects it had on her. Why, do we not, why are we not honest about these things? And say, guys, if you do it outside of this, this, this bond, you're going to bring an incredible amount of pain in your life and confusion and dissonance. And the reason why there's dissonance is because what you're basically doing when you have sex outside of marriage is you're giving yourself wholly and completely to someone without giving yourself wholly and completely to someone. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're giving all that you are to a person without giving them all that you are. You're saying, I will take all of you, I will take your body and everything in the most intimate parts of you, and you can have the most intimate parts of me, but we're not going to live together. We're not going to build a family together. We're not going to be bound to one another. So I'll give you all of me, but I'm going to hold back. And quite frankly, that's deceptive. And it's dishonest. And it's not, it, it doesn't add up, and the soul doesn't know what to do with it. This is why Tim Keller Right, in his fabulous book called The Meaning of Marriage, he says, the Bible says don't unite with someone physically unless you are also willing to unite with the person emotionally, personally, socially, economically, and legally. Don't become physically naked and vulnerable to the other person without becoming vulnerable in every other way because you have given up your freedom and bound yourself in marriage. And when you do that, once you, once you have that marriage commitment, then you have the freedom to be able to give yourself fully and completely. And here's what happens. The marriage relation, the, the sexual act becomes basically a picture of the covenant that you've made. Listen to what Paul says. Paul says, or do you not know that, it, that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes in one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. Now that's powerful. He's not just merely saying, well, if you sleep with a prostitute, you know, obviously your bodies have come together. No, he's, 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 he's saying both. He's saying you, when you're joined physically with a prostitute, you become one body. It's deeper. It's that, the idea of flesh, the flesh being the gateway to the soul. You've combined souls with this person. Now in Corinth, where this was written, he was writing to a church in Corinth, they had a common practice of worshiping their gods by going to the temple. So, you know, if you think about these, you know, we talk about a male-dominated society. Are you kidding me? We, you, there, there's been way more male. I mean, here's these guys going, uh, honey, I gotta go worship God now, you know? So they would go up to a temple, to a mountain, and they would have sex with a prostitute, and that was them going to church, basically. All right? Yeah. There's a, so the, so the, a lot of men were going to church back then. Yeah, it's like, oh, I'm really sorry, honey. I'm just really spiritual, you know? But in that culture... Sex was seen as something that you did with someone else other than your, you know, you have, might have sex to have, a, to have a baby, but the whole fun of sex was, was something you did with other people because it wasn't something that was brought in. It wasn't seen. See, it was seen as an act, as an appetite to be fulfilled. It wasn't seen as a way to bond and truly bond with another person. So when Christianity hits the scene in the Roman Empire, Paul is telling these people who were all doing this before they became Christians. They were all doing it. And he says, guys, don't you know that when you do this, you, you, you're, you're releasing this powerful bond. You're, you're, you're having this powerful bond with this person. You're not designed for that. That's not what you're supposed to do. This is something that you're supposed to do with, in, in marriage. So, um, 
Oh, yeah, so where's the other part? Oh, I forgot. Um, it's down there somewhere. So now the only way to counter this, by the way, because people say, well, you know, Tim, come on. Aren't you going to a little bit of extremes? I mean, I mean, people do this all the time. It's not that big of a deal. Now, here's the deal. If we're honest, you can only say that if you have dumbed down the power of sex in your life. You can only come to that conclusion if you have, you have to work against the bonding mechanism of sex. You have to do it enough times and enough, in enough instances to where it means less to you. So it won't hurt as bad. You won't connect as much. It won't be as powerful. And you can kind of basically use the other person to get off and then move on. But if you do that, understand what you've done. You have lessened the effect and the impact. This is why for so many guys, so many young men, impotence is like a huge thing because they've been so uh, engrossed in so much pornography that they've they, their, their minds, and you could, they've studied the brain, and the synapses have changed. The, the, the physiological brain has changed, you guys, to where... They don't associate the sexual act with any type of bonding at all. So when they meet someone that they fall in love with, there's just, they, they can't do it. Because they've basically rewired their brain to only get aroused by more and more intense and oftentimes um, completely unrealistic computer-generated images that aren't even real. And this is what the world says is good, and they, and, they, and they look at guys like me and go, oh, you don't know what you're talking about, man. You guys are from, you guys are like old-fashioned. You guys are irrelevant to society. Okay, but I'm not the one dumbing down the impact of sex in my life. I'm not the one that's saying um, uh, strip it like a, like a bolt so it doesn't work anymore. I'm not saying that. I'm saying exactly, actually, the opposite of that. And so, that's the third thing. And by the way, if this were true, you know, why was there so much of an emphasis on sexual abuse? If, if, guys, if, like if a guy goes up and touches a woman on the shoulder, it's no big deal. Like he's touching her shoulder. But if he touches her on the breast, it's, it's, it's groping. And you can go to jail for that. Why? Because everybody knows that the, there's certain parts of your body that, that aren't just physical in nature, but, but, go, but basically are gateways to the soul. And when you do something like that with a person against their will, it's seen as a violation not only of their body, but of their soul. And that's why you're sent to jail when you do these things. Because everybody knows this. But yet we want to deny, deny, deny. Why? Because we really don't want to acknowledge the fact that what God wants us to do is to take this quote-unquote appetite and submit it to his leadership and his will because we really fundamentally don't trust that he wants what's best for us and that he knows what's best for us. So the third thing I would say, and this is the positive one, is sex and marriage can be a lifelong source of intimacy and ecstasy unmatched by any other experience. Now I say can be a lifelong source of intimacy and ecstasy unmatched by any other experience. Because a few weeks ago we talked about the covenant, right? And we said that marriage is a picture of the covenant that God's made with us. So you, you covenant you, to your spouse and you say, I will love you. Regardless of, of the things that you might do in terms of how you might change and everything else, I'm gonna, my love for you is going to stay constant. And I want to show that same type of pure love that God's shown me. I want to show it to you. 
And sex is basically a renewal of that covenant. It is a reminder. It is a demonstration. And that's what it's for. It's not just for you to get off. And when you think that, this is the problem. When you think, well, it's just for, see, here's the problem with that. And Tim Keller makes this point as well. When you think about appetites, well, sex is an appetite. Yeah, but, so, so I got to satisfy, just like hunger. Yeah, but just because you're hungry doesn't mean you should just go eat whatever, right? So if I'm hungry, so I, I'm going to have a donut, okay? Well, maybe that's not what your body needs. Maybe your body needs something much more healthy than a donut. Maybe it needs something like bacon. Yeah, right? So, so you know, you should, you should think about these kinds of things. That's the, that's the decision process I go through. Donuts, bad, bacon's good, okay? Because it's, it's like the fountain of life, bacon. But <clears throat> anyway, but truthfully, just because you have an appetite doesn't mean, well, I should just fill it. No, if, of course there's a desire that's biological, but that doesn't mean that you should fill it however you want. So anyway, here's the thing. Um, sex has this purpose so you agree to unite with this person economically, legally, emotionally, socially, like we talked about before, and now you're uniting with them physically. And so it's not just the act itself, it's all the other fun stuff you get to do along with the actual act itself, right? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you need to download a message that I preached last year um, that is in the, remember I talked about Pastor Tim's sex sandbox? Oh, some of you guys weren't there for that. You're like freaking out. No, I made the little past him sex sandbox. It was like, you know, these are the things that, you know, well, not. Anyway, I have a whole. We talked about what you can do in marriage and that kind of thing. Because some people say, well, you know, uh, you Christians, you guys only like the missionary position just for procreation and stuff like that. And I'm like, dude, have you ever not read this book called Song of Solomon? That's all full of sexual innuendos. Holy cow, like climbing the palm tree and taking hold of the fruits and going into the garden and all this craziness. I mean, It'd, it'd make you blush, man. Don't, don't read it around your grandma, you know what I'm saying? Like, hey, grandma, let's read the Bible, <laughs> you know? You don't read Song of Solomon, all right? Don't read it around your kids either, because that'll freak you out, okay? It's a wildly erotic, passionate book, which, by the way, is much of it is from the perspective of the woman. And that's even crazier, because in that culture, like, women didn't re- talk about those kinds of things. But it's written from the perspective largely of the woman, which is very— So, if, unless any of you think that God is, doesn't want you to have any fun when you're married, you're absolutely crazy. This is supposed to be something—so, in fact, I have it on the screen. You can actually, if you—because some of you are interested, like, I want to hear that sermon. Um, it's from a uh, series we did called Disconnected. And the, uh, it's called Real Sex in the Digital Age is what the sermon's called. So you can go online, you can download that, and um, you, can, you can look at that and watch that or whatever. So, but here's the deal. We have this whole book of Song of Solomon that I talked about. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. He says, to Of married couples, do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan might not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now what's that about? Well, there, was, there were some people that were basically going on a sex fast so they could pray and worship God. Now if you ask me, that's not really my type of worship, you know. I've never, I've never suggested to my wife that we try that. Um, in fact, I don't think I ever will suggest to my wife that we There's lots of ways to worship God. In my mind, that's not one of them. So, but Paul was saying, if you want to do that, that's fine, but don't, don't go too long because you'll be tempted because of the way that biology works. It's very practical, sensible kinds of stuff. But what is the acknowledgement? The acknowledgement is you should be, if you're married, you should be having sex. 
And I'm telling you, there's, I cannot, and I know I'm, I know I'm touching some nerves. I know there's some of you guys who are like, yeah, but you don't understand. I understand there's medical issues that come up. I understand there's seasons where it's very difficult. Maybe one spouse is away. I understand that there's, there are, in a marriage, there are seasons of life where that's not as practical as maybe it, it has been in the past for you. But, but you know what I'm talking about. If you guys are, are, there's no reason why you're not doing it other than you're just not doing it. Well, we're busy and all this kind of stuff. You are starting to drift apart you are starting to drift apart. You see, one of the other things that sex does too is it, it reveals some deeper things that maybe wouldn't even be revealed. Sometimes the problems that you might have in communication sexually reveal actually deeper hurts and wounds that you've maybe never told anybody and you haven't had to deal with them until you get into a sexual relationship in marriage and all of a sudden, it's, but you're in a safe place, right? And these things come out. And they come out because you're forced to be vulnerable. You're forced to be physically naked with the person. You're forced to, to, to go there to these private places. And, the, and, the, and the, the disconnect there, why is there a disconnect? What's wrong? What's going on? Well, there's some things I, I, I'm, I'm afraid of or there's some things that I'm resistant to. Or why? 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 And that can actually be a very good thing. It can actually force you to confront things that you haven't confronted in your life. And what happens is people go, well, people do, they'll say, well, I just don't want to do that or I don't want to, I don't think we should do this very much and, uh, because, and because they're hiding something and they think that they're going to use the idea of, well, you know, we don't have to do it a lot and I'm, I'm, I'm just not in the mood and they think that they're being righteous by saying that. No. If you're holding back because you got stuff in your life, you need to deal with the stuff in your life because that's one of the reasons God created sex was so that you could bond with another person in such a way that they would know what's going on with you. And if you can't trust them, then you have trust issues. And you need to figure that out. But we can't set these habits up in our marriages where we're building walls. And those walls will often start physically in the bedroom. But they can also be broken down there as well. So this is good. This is good stuff. You know, you see, you're all quiet because no one tells you this stuff. No one tells you. You think, it's, you think it's just an act. We That's what we're told. It's just an act. And you don't realize that there's substance. There's layers of meaning and beauty. And see, and, now here, and here's the thing I'll tell you. You single people, because I have to talk about it with this, and I know, again, I, every single person is in a different place in life. I understand. So I don't mean to generalize. But here's the thing. This is relevant to you guys who are single as well because, because what happens is a single person who comes to Christ who says, well, I'm not married, so I'm going to honor God sexually. Well, that kind of means that I'm not going to have sex with anyone who's not my spouse. Now, by the way, doesn't it kind of help you think about um, wouldn't it help you, as opposed to just sex being something, well, it's like a desire. It's like, it's like I can't think of a pink elephant, right? So I'm not going to think of a pink elephant. Well, everybody thinks of a pink elephant, right? That's what you do. Don't think of a pink elephant. You're all thinking of pink elephants because you're all a bunch of rebellious people. So that, same thing with me. So the, here's the deal. So it's for a single person, it's like, okay, I have this desire, I have this urge, and everything else, and I, I, I'm not supposed to do it. I'm not supposed to do it. I'm not supposed to do it. As opposed to timeout. Maybe if I understand sex as the most powerful soul unifying act I could do with another person. Whoa. That means I gotta be careful about who I do that with. That's, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. And if I'm only supposed to do it in marriage, then maybe I need to think about getting married. And I gotta be honest with you, single people. If you really want to have sex, that's not wrong. You didn't, you didn't just decide that on your own. That was put there. God made you that way. 
And so if you really want to have sex, then you really ought to think about getting married. Or you say, oh, you know, there's nobody out there. I don't believe that for a second. There's all kinds of people out there. But one of the things you need to do is start asking yourself a question, because sex can be a great motivator. You can start asking yourself a question like this. What steps should I take to prepare myself to share my life intimately with someone else? Seriously, you should think about this. And so I could be, uh, I could be just get real with some of you guys. Some of you guys, you know, if you're a younger guy, what, what's, your, what's, your, what's your economics look like? What's your job situation look like? How are you going to take care of a woman? How are you going to take care of a wife? How are you going to look like you have some credibility that this woman can trust you with her life? The, and, and if sex is a motivator for that, fine. What's wrong with that? It was, I would say as a Christian, I was a Christian going to seminary when I met my wife. And yes, that was a powerful motivator for me. Because I was not going to be able to have sex any other way than to get married. I was a Christian in ministry. I believe in Jesus. I trusted him. And I'm like, God, this is my, my life. And this I want to live in obedience to you. So you better believe that when I met Judy, you know, um, I wasn't going to date her for six years. Okay? I was going to see how fast I could date her and how fast I can be engaged with her and how fast we can get married. Okay? I'm just being honest with you. And guess what? We've been married for 18 plus years. So, uh, you know, you, you can say what you want, and it sounds crazy to people. But why should it sound crazy? It's, it's not a bad motivator if that's where you are. Okay? Now, I know not all of you guys, guys that are single are in that boat. I get that. And that's something you have to keep to, but it would, very, it would help you very much if you say, God, I understand that this is not just something that I do with anyone and everyone um, whenever I get the urge, but this is a sacred thing. And I've got to begin to understand it that way. And if I can, then maybe it will help me be able to grow in my knowledge and my understanding and my substance and my ability to be able to give this properly to the Lord and walk in obedience. Are you going to be tempted? Of course you're going to be tempted. Are there going to be struggles? Of course there's going to be struggles. It's the most powerful impulse in your life. Let's be honest about it. We've got to stop, stop pretending in church like it doesn't exist. It, is, it drives so much of our lives. So, I want to end with what I began with, and that is this. Wherever you are on this issue, man, God, God has grace. God has grace. I told you a couple weeks ago, if he wanted you to go back and fix all your mistakes, he'd have given you a DeLorean and a guy with white hair, right? Back to the future. He could set the time. And you can go back right before you made that first sexual mistake. Uh-uh. He doesn't want you to do that. What he wants you to do is he wants you to start today and to surrender your whole life to him, but that part especially, and say, God, you know what? I want to walk in obedience. Teach me to use the, the, the sexuality that you've given me, that, that, that intimacy, that power. Teach me to use it in a way that's going to be honoring and glorifying to you and will not tear down someone else, will not lead them on, will not be deceptive in giving them all of me, but not giving them all of me. Will not engage and draw out of them this powerful connection only to run away from them and damage their soul. God, I don't want to do that. I want to follow you. I want to, be, I want to walk in obedience and I want to walk in purity in this area. But it starts with first surrendering your life to Jesus and saying, God, I trust you. And it also starts with understanding, you guys, even if you made a mistake last night, there's forgiveness. Even if you're walking in a, in a sinful situation right now, there's forgiveness. There's grace. But you got to embrace the truth and you got to stop playing games with this and you got to use it the way God intended to be used.
So I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes with me for just a moment? If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian and you're saying, you know what? I want to surrender my life to Jesus. And it starts by, first of all, accepting his forgiveness. I want to be forgiven for the things I've done in my whole life, but especially in the area of sex. God, I know. I know. I've sinned. Would you forgive me? More than just my sexual life, God, I want to give you my whole life. I want to obey you with everything. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Paid for all of that. I can be forgiven and free, washed clean. And that you can redeem everything in my life, including sex, as I follow you. Tell him that. If you're not a Christian here tonight, become one. Experience what God created you to experience. You may be a person here tonight who says, I am a Christian, but to be honest, I haven't been acting like one in this area. So God, I repent. I realize I've, I've completely bought in to the pressure of the world and what they've said, what they've told me sex should be. No more. God, I'm asking your forgiveness. I'm repenting of this right now. No more. I'm walking away. I'm turning around. I'm going to make decisions right now that are honoring to you. I'm going to talk to who I need to talk to. But right now, from this point on, I'm going to walk in purity. God, this is, a, uh, this is an issue that touches so much of us, all of us, so deeply. And it can bring up all kinds of pain. But God, we know that even if we have completely gone astray in this area of our lives, God, you can redeem it and you can make sex something that is beautiful and wonderful and intense and powerful and life-giving in a way we never thought possible. We just need to trust you with it. I pray that we'd be a congregation of people that would experience this part of our lives in such a gratifying and wonderful way because we know you and we love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.